a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to show number 53 of the British TV podcast. Da, 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 da. And I still haven't finished composing our theme tune. We'll get there sometime. Right. Well, it'll be cool to have a new theme tune. We have a new logo. <laughs> or a theme tune, yeah. Which if you're listening to it on your iPhone, you should have a different logo there or you can see it on our website. But I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Christy in Seattle. And as we have uh, intimated, this is our first anniversary. Yeah. Actually, the anniversary technically is on Thursday, but uh, today is the anniversary of Monty Python, which is the day we recorded it. So I must have taken two days to, to add the first one, probably because I had no idea it would take so long to do, and it, then I got it we, done. We were fumbling a lot, too. Ah. Unlike the, you know, the smooth, fumble-free uh, podcast we do today. Well, I think Chrissy's kidding there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and they're always like, oh, our early shows are terrible. And I'm like, you know, I've, I've actually pulled out some of the old ones. And go, no, that wasn't that bad. I mean, maybe because we haven't improved at all, but I, I'm not mortified by our early podcasts. So you feel free to go back and listen to them if we did a topic that you find exciting. But, yeah, a whole year. It's uh, pretty amazing. And here we are back in the fall season with lots of really good stuff mm-hmm. on. In fact, there's so much on, I'm way behind watching stuff. Boy, you were caught up for one glorious second there, I thought, and now you're... Well, I'm not like massively behind, right. but I've got about four hours of stuff I want to see, and don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do that, but maybe this weekend. So one of the reasons I didn't was I went to go see a movie on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I saw The Social Network with good old Andrew Garfield. Yeah. From Red Rider, we've been following his career, and then he's in another movie next week, which is Never Let Me Go. Yeah, and he was what he was in Doctor Who in the Daleks take Manhattan sort of in season three with Martha when they went to Manhattan in the thirties, and the Daleks were creating hybrids of themselves. He was in that two parter. Which character was he? He was kind of one of the homeless dudes. I didn't realize he had Doctor Who credits. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, yeah, Never Let Me Go. It's also got uh, Carrie Mulligan, Mm -hmm. who we also like, and uh, Keira Knightley. And it looks like, you know, kind of a coming-of-age and education kind of movie. It's not. It's a science Mm -mm. fiction movie. You know, it's written by the guy who wrote Remains the Day. It's a sci-fi movie, but I don't want to spoil what it's about. But But if you watch the trailer, you'll pretty much get it. So if you really want to be unspoiled and you just want to check out the new Peter Parker I was reading today, somebody was very said they were watching Never Let Me Go, thinking, that's Spider-Man? I'm thinking, he's an actor. It's a different role. He's he's playing somebody who maybe isn't so well in this first movie, and so he's not going to have a ton of energy. And Oh, watch him know. in The Social Network. He's great. You totally can believe he can pull it off. And he was in the Terry Gilliam movie, too, The Imaginator. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I haven't either, but I've heard he was most excellent. It was a really big part. And, of course, the first time I remember him was in the first series of Sugar Rush when he was Kim's next-door neighbor. Who I never lost. saw the first series. Oh, well, she lost her virginity to him because she was just wanting to see if it would work for with a, a boy. And it didn't. She was fantasizing about sugar her very first time and <laughs> realizing that was probably a bad sign. And then he was, of course, immediately in love with her, and she was trying to distance herself from him right away. And he had to have... He got... Very teary, and he had two dads. He had Dave and David, his dad, in the show, and he was saying to them, where, where are all the straight people, Dad? <laughs> you know, because 
immediately upon losing his virginity with the girl of his dreams, she says, well, sorry, I guess I am a lesbian after all. And so he was pretty unhappy, but he and it ended on a good point. And there's lots of outtakes on scenes that didn't make the show featuring him on the DVD. Ah. If you buy it. And so Andrew Garfield and, and mm-hmm. like it going to be Spider-Man and they just cast Emma Stone and she was going to be playing Gwen Stacy. And then a day later they said, no, 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 she's going to be playing Mary Jane. So, but that'll be, I'm not sure if that's coming out next year or 2012, but we'll see. And I saw a Doctor Who themed belly dance show over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It was called Across the Hooniverse. Okay. And I put it on Facebook and a whole bunch of us went down to go see what this was all about. And they had dancing Daleks and dancing Ood. And there was a number with the Master and Lucy my wife's like, who's Lucy? And I'm like, that's the master's wife. And there was a lot more pop music than uh, I normally see belly dance shows. Usually it's all Middle Eastern music and mm. you start hearing the same bits over and over again. But they played Voodoo Child, Across the Universe, David Bowie's Starman. And it was hosted by the 11th Doctor. And right. it was one of the women's husbands and she had given him a script and he had the bow tie and he had a fez and, <laughs> and there was a mixture of you know, old who and, and new who. And it was great because it was just, you know, talk to me as a fan and, and you know, we're going to belly dance shows for 12 years. So that was kind of cool too. But yeah, it was really neat. A little treat here for uh, people in Seattle. I liked it. Yeah. And uh, we'll have links on our show notes to a Facebook page where there's lots of pictures. You can see what a belly dancing Dalek looks like. So this week's show, we have news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, a feature on Paul Merton, and some listener feedback. Alrighty then. News. The BBC released an autumn drama trailer that was full of tantalizing tidbits of goodness. Interestingly, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, and Matt Smith will each be turning up separately in non-Doctor Who dramas. Eccleston will be in Jimmy McGovern's Accused... Tennant in Single Father, which debuts this Sunday, and Smith will be playing Christopher Isherwood in Christopher and His Kind, coming to BBC Two next month. We'll have a link to the trailer in our show notes. All of those are just making me go, oh, I want to see these shows oh, right yeah, now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you see it? No. Oh. I want to right this instant. And there's a little bit of the Christmas trailer, or mm-hmm. Doctor Who Christmas thing and all, but it was nice to see kind of all the recent Doctor Who's there, you know, continuing their drama career, so woohoo. Good stuff. The Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon road trip documentary parody, The Trip, is coming to the Independent Film Channel. Directed by Michael Winterbottom, the series will be shown in Britain as a six-part miniseries, but has been edited into a movie with exclusive scenes for export. The film premiered at the Toronto National Film Festival and has been picked up by IFC for broadcast in the USA. Much like in Tristan Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story, Coogan and Bryden play slightly fictionalized versions of themselves, this time stuck in an extended car trip together, touring eateries. I was reading about that just today. And Bryden was talking about their long career, and he thinks Coogan is funnier on camera than he'll ever be, but he thinks that he's funnier off camera. Because <laughs> Coogan doesn't care about being friendly or liked or anything like that, or cracking jokes or being known as the funny guy, and, and Bryden does. Hmm. And if you close your eyes, I'm the invisible man. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Steve Coogan, he's about to launch a new series of webisodes next month that has Alan Partridge webcasting from his Norwich studios. Deadline.com is reporting that Baby Cow is already to sell a re-edited version of, to a broadcaster in Britain as a six-part series produced by Coogan and Henry Normal's Baby Cow Productions. 
Yeah, we'll see how, what Alan's doing, because the last series of I'm Alan Partridge, his fortunes were si- slightly improved. Well, he's back he was, at Radio Norwich, and, and this will be yeah. the first time he's not on the BBC. Well, he was on Radio Norwich, but he had a better time slot last time around, and he had a cable show that no one had ever seen called Skirmish, and we never even saw it. He just talked about it, a military history-based game show. And he had a girlfriend, and Lynn uh, was still with him, but she was a little more self-confident, and she was actually kind of a pretty good partner to him in getting new things off the ground rather than being the shy, timid little thing that she had been in Series 1. So we'll see if his fortunes have steadily improved bit by bit or if he's in a decline again when these new webisodes Well, he's funnier when he's down. Mm -hmm. Uh Aha! Dead Set is coming to IFC, the Charlie Booker-devised horror series shown two years ago on British TV about zombies attacking the Big Brother house. will finally get its U.S. debut on the Independent Film Channel beginning October 26th. Stephen King had it on his top 10 list last year, and we did a feature on Charlie Brooker back in show 29. Well, there's something interesting about this. You know, I have it. I haven't watched it yet, but I've noticed on those torrent sites that are highly illegal, but out there, Mm -hmm. there's a number of fan edits of the series where people have used the whole series and made a film out of it themselves and have launched it up. And I've noticed there's at least three of them where people decided to re-edit the series and make their own movie version of it. And they'll call it, this is a fan edit of Dead Set, Deader, or something like that. They just they make it shorter? Yeah, they make it shorter. I mean, people do it all the time with other films. Hmm. They There's, of course, the very famous uh, Addie Wan who redid Star Wars and fixed all the mistakes and oh, made Phantom better. Menace. He did A New Hope Star Wars. Oh, really? Wars. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. He re-rotoscoped it. It took him two years. He's working on the next one now. You don't need to fix Star Wars? Yep, he did. He he put the Imperial March in, since that hadn't appeared in Star Wars originally. Okay. But he did shots. Tatooine slightly rotates a little bit. He's added extra moons, better star fields, better warp jumps, better special effects. Yeah. Did he I erase if... Harrison Ford's sideburns? No, but... Oh, well... <laughs> yeah, I guess we shouldn't talk about this song too much, but I'll show you sometime. He even there's a trivia track where you can turn on and see everything that he changed. As to. a diehard Star Wars fan, I would be curious to see it because I have seen the movie dozens and dozens of times. Well, it's, so. it's gorgeous. He mostly used the laser discs as his source material, with a little bit of the special editions where he took out some things, but he left a few things. I mean, he did a new matte painting for when R two D two is in the canyon. That's even more brilliant and spectacular he just it's insane the amount of work he did just for love of this show wow yeah if only they use their powers for good Mm -hmm. instead of evil and finally Stephen mangan has been cast in bbc4's adaptation of dirk gently's holistic detective agency mangan who's the co-star of green wing and many sitcoms and does a lot of voiceover jobs will appear alongside helen baxendale and darren boyd and this will air in 2011 yeah, good old Norman from the Norman Conquest, that's right, that you and I saw on Broadway last year. And he was in a really funny updated version of Adrian Mole. Yeah. The uh, Cappuccino years. That was the first I think I saw of him, and then I saw him in Confetti, the film. Because mm. he can play leading men and he can play nerds. He's yeah. sort of got a face that goes both ways, you know? Yeah, he was in Never Better in 2008. And he played Keith, a reformed alcoholic who isn't quite getting the point of AA or realizes what a social disaster he is now that he's sober. Hmm. What's on TV for the week of October 6th to October 12th? I bet it's lots of good stuff. There is lots of good stuff. 
Wednesday, Bang Goes the Theory continues on BBC One, followed by the school drama Waterloo Road. ITV One has a new Midsummer Murders with John Nettles, titled Masterclass. Thursday, River Cottage Every Day with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall continues on Channel 4. Phone Shop begins on E4. It's a sitcom set in a high street phone shop. The first episode is titled Doctor Who, and it's Christopher's first full day working for Phone Shop, so Ashley and Gerwain attempt to teach him some tricks of the trade. Law and Order UK continues on ITV1. The topical news panel show Mock the Week continues on Thursday on BBC2. Celebrity Juice continues on ITV2. Simon Bird's The King is Dead continues on BBC3 with the search for a new Father Christmas. Friday, QI is on BBC One with guest panelists Joe Brand, Jimmy Carr, and Jack D. And it's followed by New Tricks. Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman star in The Song of Lunch, a one-off drama on BBC Two that is poetry-based. ITV One continues Paul O'Grady live. Eight Out of Ten Cats continues on Channel Four. The Rob Brydon Show on BBC Two has guest Terry Wogan. Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp returns to ITV1 with Harry's unique look at the past week's television. Season 3 of Merlin continues on BBC One. Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow is on BBC One. Sunday, Time Team continues on Channel 4. Downton Abbey continues on ITV1. The ratings are going up. Amazing. (laughs) On BBC One, David Tennant stars in Single Father, a four-part comedy drama as a Glaswegian who falls in love with his best friend's wife. Sky One has Thorn, with David Morrissey as D.I. Tom Thorn, in the first of two new grisly dramas based on the hit crime novels by Mark Billingham. Monday, The Sarah Jane Adventures is back for a fourth season. Episodes will premiere on CBBC on Mondays and Tuesdays and then be repeated on terrestrial channels at the end of the week. The first story is The Nightmare Man, a two-part adventure that finishes up tomorrow. Spooks continues on BBC One. Rupert Penry Jones, Steve Pemberton, and Phil Davis star in Whitechapel, a new three-part mystery drama on ITV One. Genius with Dave Gorman continues on BBC Two. The Inbetweeners continues on E4 and is followed by School of Comedy. Him and Her with Russell Tovey finishes on BBC Three. Ask Rod Gilbert continues on BBC One. Tuesday, Sarah Jane on CBBC. Whites with Alan Davis continues on BBC Two. Harry Enfield's sketch comedy series Harry and Paul is on afterwards. BBC Three begins a new gay drama called Lip Service, following the lives and loves of a group of 20-something lesbians living in Glasgow. Argumental continues on Dave. In the United States, on BBC America, Friday, it's Law & Order UK, and it's also on Sunday night. Top Gear continues on Monday night. We did a feature on the series in show 51. On Adult Swim, on Friday night, is the UK version of The Office. On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery, Wallander continues. DVD releases. Doctor Who Dreamland. This animated version of the series arrives nearly a year after it was first aired, originally as a serial and then, like here, as a compilation. 
It seems to be leaving it awfully late to be marketing David Tennant merchandise 10 months after he left the series, but that's the way Doctor Who release schedules operate sometimes. Did you ever end up watching that? No. Well, yeah, I think I did, actually. Kind of had weird, funky video game animation. Yeah, yeah. I, I did see it. Georgia Moffat was one of the voices, right. and David yep. Warner was in it. It was okay, story-wise, but it's... We start at kind of a diner in New Mexico or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I did see it. I don't know why they waited so long to put the DVD out. Mm-hmm. Midsummer Murders, Volume 16, more from the popular John Nettles detective series. Rumpole the Bailey, the complete megaset, collects all 42 episodes of the courtroom drama starring the incomparable Leo McKern. Very, very early John Simrall in one of them where he was playing a, ah. a naughty teenager. I've loved Leo McKern ever since he was in The Prisoner. He was always great. The Queen, the complete miniseries. Note, this is not the Peter Morgan movie with Helen Mirren, but the docudrama that follows the life of Elizabeth II, with various actresses portraying her over the years. And Benny Hill, the complete megaset, The (laughs) Thames Years, collects 58 episodes over a 20-year period from 1969 to 1989. That's a lot of chasing girls around at high speed with yakety sax playing. on good old Paul Merton. Paul Merton is a comedian whose quick wit have entertained audiences and served him well for decades in shows like Whose Line Is It Anyway and Have I Got News For You. Paul seemed like an apt topic to talk about here on our first anniversary because he is someone both Chrissy and I have both admired for many years. And next week, Have I Got News For You, we'll be back on BBC One. Paul's first professional job was playing a yokel on the classic 1980s sitcom The Young Ones, although he was credited with his real name, Paul Martin. But Equity told him he couldn't use that name, so he adopted Merton. That's right, because his dad used to be a tube operator and worked the Merton line, so that's where that came from. Where is the Merton line? I'm not sure exactly, but I've, I've read it enough times that I believe it. <laughs> okay. Or it passes through Merton, or they go to Merton, but it was definitely from his childhood. It wasn't just selected um, random. Paul always wanted to get into comedy, and his timing couldn't have been better with the rise of venues in the 1980s specifically designed for stand-up comedians. And he's been a regular at the Comedy Store in London for nearly three decades. And you've seen him... I've seen him numerous times doing on his Sunday nights with the comedy store players. Last time I saw him would have been 2004, very shortly after he lost his wife. But he actually gave an interview about that, too, how just for three hours a week, having his brain focused on trying to be funny and being with his friends and doing comedy was just life-saving for him because it gave him just a complete break from grief each week, you know, and then he would go back to mourning again. But I, it was, I would say it was about less than two months after wow. she had passed away that I saw him. Can you almost count on him being there every Sunday night? No, but there's a schedule that go, that's about three months in advance. Mm. And he's there generally during the Have I Got News For You series, or if he's touring up to Edinburgh with something, he won't be there. But I would say he's there more than half the time on Sundays. And the, the players play Sunday and Wednesday, but I don't think he's, he ever does Wednesdays. Yeah, a friend of mine is going over, in fact, it's a friend of the show, Miriam. We interviewed her about Graham Norton a few months back. 
or last year, I guess it was probably. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's going over to Britain, and she wanted to get tickets for Have I Got News For You. And it said, you know, on this day, log in. And she did the time change and everything. And she said 10 minutes before you were supposed to start doing it, they'd already sold them out. We kind of we were sort of sneaky. Now <laughs> we got our tickets. You got JT a friend with the show, right? We had I had met a production assistant for Clive Anderson All Talk when I'd seen that, and that we just got tickets the original way, just logging on and, and asking for them. So I sort of remembered her, and we wrote and asked about if there was a way Americans could, you know, increase our chances since we don't go over that often. And she was perfectly willing to get us some tickets. Mm. That fix was in. It was well. You gotta you gotta get in there if it's something where you're only in Britain every couple years for a short time. It was on whose line is it anyway that made Paul Merton's name on television beginning in 1988. The Channel Four improvised comedy series highlighted Merton's ability to instantly create a hilarious scene using suggestions from the audience. Here he is with American Ron West. Okay, so I have to give you a situation, and um, you're in a joke shop. One of you's in a joke shop, one of you's serving in that joke shop. Well, this is a very popular item that we have here. This is the bloody soap. The uh, bloody soap, how does that work? Well, you have, uh, if you have a party, you put it in the bathroom, and then people wash their hands, they think their hands are bloody, and they get afraid and scream, and it's hilarious. Wouldn't it be the same, <laughs> wouldn't it be the same thing if you just hit a razor blade in the soap? <laughs> yeah, would... Andy Warhol. <laughs> Andy, I shall wash you. I, I feel washed. <laughs> this Campbell soup tin, does it do anything special or...? Yes, it does. What does it do? Peanuts come out of it. <laughs> what a practical joke! Uh, Rocky 20. I'm gonna knock that walking frame right out under you. Go ahead and try it, friend. <laughs> oh, you won't get me. I am big Russian. I kill you a thousand times to death. I'll take, uh, take your walking stick away. <laughs> Go ahead. Talk right way here. Twenty years ago, September 28th, 1990 to be precise, Have I Got News For You premiered on BBC Two. The topical news quiz hosted then by Angus Deaton and team captains Paul Merton and Private Eye editor Ian Hislop is always at its funniest when Paul makes a droll, off-the-cuff comment. Or in this case, rambling on about glasses. I've got glasses. Yeah, yeah. Paul's got glasses. Yeah. Sunglasses. Come on. What do you wear them for, uh, then? What do I wear them for? Um, well, I, I went to the optician once, and he, and he explained to me... <laughs> If your eyesight is slightly dodgy, in fact, in fact, well, I've got it in one eye, slightly dodgy, he produces a pair of glasses, he put the glasses on, you'll mm. see him through, it's like a lens, in fact. <laughs> so you're looking at something, so it corrects the vision, because what I've basically got is an astigmatism, which is one eye is trying to do this, one eye is trying to do that, so if you don't wear glasses, you're in for a long period of time, you end up getting a migraine headache. I really only need them for television. In fact, I'm on television now, but I'm talking about watching television. <laughs> so I'm watching television, I put them on, but you see, I, I sort of wear them all the time because I can't be bothered to carry around a glasses case with me. Mm. Is that exhausted one of the most <laughs> tedious subjects <laughs> on British television? Yes, it, it, it did about halfway through, actually. Mm. Did uh, you use the will to live? Uh, I lost it a while back. Well, yeah. we're not stopping you. <laughs> Lower the rope! <laughs> In 1991, Paul got his own show, the aptly titled Paul Merton the Series, for Channel 4. At the time, it seemed that there was an unofficial rule of comedy that you had to be part of a double act to get a show on television. So it was refreshing to see Paul go at it alone. There are, of course, other actors in the show and carry the show himself. 
he observed life from a fictional newspaper stand and in various sketches, and he got some good laughs. I mean, he had a catchphrase, too. Remember that? Oh, it's been so long since I've seen it. Isn't it marvelous? In 1994, Paul co-starred along with his wife at the time, Carolyn Quentin, in the TV movie An Evening with Gary Lineker about Britons on holiday during the World Cup. And we talked about that during our World Cup show. In 1995, he presented Paul Merton's Life of Comedy. This is the flat I grew up in. You see that front door? My father hung that front door for a murder he didn't commit. You must have read about it. It was in all the papers. Anyway... I grew up in this, he framed those windows as well. Big bank job up in Hendon. They got five years. Anyway, here's a picture of my dad taken in 1958. At the time, a lot of people had trouble telling us apart. I don't know why, because he was six foot four with a brown moustache and I was a 12 month old baby. Here's a picture of me as a baby. That's me having my Sunday lunch. While the rest of the family had roast chicken, potatoes and peas, I had to make do with a bowl of thick yellow slop. And here's a picture of me mum and me granddad. That was taken the day the wireless broke down. Here they are having a staring contest with Jingles, the budgie. Ah, there's Jingles. Of course, this was before we got a television set. When it arrived, I used to watch it all the time. I became obsessed with television comedy. So this series is about my life in that flat, but it's also about all the comedy I watched over the last 30 years or so. It's a random selection, a bit from 1968, could easily follow something from 1979. It's all jumbled up in my mind, really. But I remember when it first began. It was the day the first television set arrived. Paul played his own father, but the series was just an excuse to show classic comedy bits from British TV. I liked the very last bit that he showed. Do you remember what it was? It was the first sketch he ever wrote and got paid for. What and was it was it for? It was for Smith and Jones. Oh. Yeah, and they showed that very last of the series. But yeah, they recreated the sitting room that he grew up in, and he would play his dad. Right. Well, he had a real. He didn't really start getting into comedy till his late twenties, although he knew he wanted to do it. Fear of failure. He had a really what was for him being working class quite a good job with a social security office. In fact. A friend of mine's sister worked with him during this time and said and said it made a, it just a pleasure to come to work in Clapham, where they were living. Finally, he just decided, well, gosh, I'm going to be 30 in a couple of years. I'd better get on it and kicked himself and actually got up on stage and found out that he was right. He could make people laugh, and it kind of built from there. But it wasn't really something like Eddie Izzard, who from 17 was taking sh- every show he could up to Edinburgh. It was something I think he lived in his head for a long time. And he, he just didn't really want to take that first step because he might fail. But once he did, of course, he was a huge success. Well, he's obviously a very clever, smart, mm-hmm. funny guy. In the spring 1996 series of Have I Got News For You, Paul up the series in order to appear in Galton and Simpson Present. Ray Galton and Alan Simpson had written a number of comedies that originally appeared on Hancock's Half Hour with Tony Hancock in the mid-1950s. The writers took their scripts, updated them a bit, and remade 15 of them with Paul Merton doing Hancock's part. Now, I'm too young to have seen the originals where Hancock played an arch-comedic version of his own persona, similar to what Jack Benny or Jerry Seinfeld might do. And it required a particular kind of delivery combining bravado with comic timing. And in this episode, Paul plays a jury foreman with delusions of grandeur. 
We do not leave this room until we have reached a unanimous decision from all of us. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. we are gathered here today to witness the joining together of two people. Oh, no, that's not it, is it? We are gathered here today to sit in judgment upon a fellow human being. But before we have the temerity, nay, the audacity, to take it upon ourselves to judge anyone, surely we must first judge ourselves. <laughs> Nothing. Are we, any of us, so pure, so without sin in our own lives, that we are able to dispassionately, nay, objectively, nay, dispassionately, judge another. I submit, therefore... Get on with it. Oh. When I watched that clip today, I noticed Rob Brydon played one of the anonymous jurors, probably one of his first acting roles. Now, just last year, Paul presented some Galton and Simpson television scripts that had been redone and updated for radio. And he was in The Blood Donor. And I've got to make a copy of that and take it to the blood bank because I'm a regular blood donor too because I know they're going to just have hysterics, all the phlebotomists there when they listen to it because there's, there's a great many blood donation jokes that they're going to like. You saw these uh, uh, Golden Simpsons, didn't I you? saw several of them. The one with Josie they... Lawrence was my favorite. There, some people kind of, uh, it didn't go over real well no, with a lot of people there. I think because of the memory of Tony Hancock, even right. though it was... 30 years earlier was just too strong. He, he, Tony Hancock's very beloved, but I, I like Paul because Tony Hancock, he had such sad, angry eyes that I could never buy into liking him. Um, he, well, he was, was just a, a miserable while. person. Yeah, and uh, Paul, I don't think, is a miserable person, so I warmed to him a little bit more. He has a kinder face. But I enjoyed them. I, I think I saw five or six of them. The one with Josie Lawrence is one I remember where she's his pen pal, but they've sent better picture looking pictures than they really are to each other. But then it turns out they find out they're pretty well suited after all when they do meet. At Christmas 1997, Paul Merton hosted Does China Exist? Yes. This one-off spoof of reality shows showcased various human talents and attempted to unravel terrestrial mysteries such as those posed by the title. Merton was perfect for this sort of thing, with his patented ironic detachment amazed at every new discovery. In the world of telepathy, there are many charlatans, people who claim to have psychic powers who are, in reality, nothing more than hucksters. Hucksters peddling hokum. But we have us in the studio tonight a man who claims to be the genuine article. Will you please welcome Duval? Now, Duval, I understand your assistant has an ordinary pack of cards. Indeed, I have. I shuffle the cards. I select a card. This is the card. Duval, what is it, Queen of Spades? <laughs> Think of the card, Queen of Spades. Duval, name the card. Two of... Three of... Queen of Spades! (laughs) 
I don't know, I think there's a trick here somewhere. This time you don't say anything, no hidden clues. And this time I'll select the card. Very well. Duval agrees. But you really must concentrate if Duval is to pick up your thoughts. Right. Uh, stick the card to your forehead. All right. I select the card. Duval. <laughs> Duval. <laughs> Name the card. I can't be expected to work under this sort of pressure. Duval! Name the card. Jack of Clubs. Come on, Duval, think. <laughs> Nine of Spades. Duval! <laughs> he might have died doing that. I'm sorry I had to push him, ladies and gentlemen, but these things must be done scientifically. No doubt inspiring Darren Brown to have a start a career. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In 1998, Paul provided one of the voices in Ardman Animation's Rex the Runt. A bit more adult and risque than the family-oriented Wallace and Gromit series, Rex was about a family of dogs and the misadventures they got into. Paul played a doctor in a couple of episodes of the series. Yep, Dr. Dog. Congratulations, you have just passed our lab animal suitability test. You can come in and be experimented on. Now. <laughs> What do you reckon? How much? Yeah, um, yeah. Come on, we've come this far. Let's just let him do strange things to us. Take the money and run. run. Howdy. It's Dr. Dog, everybody. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Dog, and I'd just like to Listen explain... Listen here, we're not going to do a thing until you explain what you're going to do to us. I'm Dr. Dog, and I'd just like to explain what I'm Hold going to... Hold your do... syringes, mate. You'd better explain the side effects of these experiments. I'm Dr. Dog, Dog. and I'd just like to explain what I'm explain. going to do to you and what the side effects will be. Effects. Well, Doc? Well, I'm going to give you some tablets and you might die, but there's money in it for you if you don't. Well, I don't know. I mean, what if we die? We could have some terrible boils. Oh, how much money are we going to get? Boils. Ten quid, all right? Great. Ready when you are. Eddie Izzard turned up in an episode playing an alien that looked like an Easter Island head. I just love his little asides that he's yes. muttering all the time. Yeah, Rex the Run is a very clever, subversive series, and it's worth checking out. On the Ardman's website, you can download sound clips of Paul, of Eddie, of all the characters. They're great fun to put into your computer, because <laughs> Paul has one about... Congratulations, you have just passed our lab animal suitability test. I had, a, at one point, every time I finished downloading a file, it would my Paul Merton would congratulate me. <laughs> In 1999, Paul Burton took over hosting Room 101 from Nick Hancock. The premise of the series, based on the George Orwell's 1984, was what if there was a room where you could banish all the things you most hate in the world? Celebrities were invited on the program and nominated people, places, or things that annoyed them, and then Paul would decide whether they would be put into Room 101 and metaphorically removed from the world. And it ran until 2007. Any particular Room 101s that struck your fancy? The best of all time was from the Nick Hancock years, which was Frank Skinner. I can watch that over and over mm. again. But I thought Bill Bailey's episode with Paul was just exceptional because he played music and it was it was funny all the way through. And then Ian Hislop was on the last one and won Paul up by picking things that he knew Paul loved. Well, that that's a show that I could play for... Um, my mother and my grandmother, and they would really, really get it and laugh a lot more necessarily than Have I Got News For You, where they might not get all the jokes. Mm. So I think that made them Paul fans oh, even okay. more than Have I Got News For You. 
1998, Paul was among the celebrities who appeared in a star-studded traditional Christmas pantomime that was shown on ITV, Jack and the Beanstalk. Simon Nye, whom he profiled back in show 32, wrote the script and Paul appeared as the narrator. In the following year, he appeared in another panto as one of the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella, again filmed in front of a live audience and shown on ITV around Christmas. And of course, who was his other stepsister? Did you say Griffiths Jones? Nope. Ronnie Corbett. Oh! And they added a bunch of slapsticky thing like they were going to wallpaper a room just so that they could pour goop over each other to the delight of the kids. That, of course, has no place in Cinderella. But <laughs> And they had a song about how, um, how high class they were that was pretty funny, too. In 2001, Paul directed The Suicidal Dog. It was a live-action short about a depressed dog that has just been neutered. And they're a rather pathetic couple who own him, and they go to visit a fairground. The dog is seen attempting to kill itself several times before exacting his own revenge on an uncaring master. Paul's always been very interested in the careers of silent film comedians, and in 2006 he presented a series for BBC4 called Paul Merton's Silent Clowns, which profiled Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, and Harold Lloyd. Yeah, I loved that because I'm a fan of all those You're big silent, silent movie clowns, buff? too. Yeah, so... I got into that in a big way. Yeah, last year he presented a documentary about Alfred Hitchcock, and I'm a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan. In fact, in this room here, there's two huge Mm -hmm. posters for North by Northwest and Vertigo, which I need to still hang. (laughs) Well, not only did he do the series, but he toured around to them and presented live presentations of restored films. He would speak about the history of the film and the performers and set it up and then they'd have somebody accompanying it live and show a really great print and beforehand he might show a a clip of the print unrestored and then restored and showed why it was so why people while perhaps there was just kind of um it had gotten a reputation as really not being that funny and his theory was because you couldn't see the expressions on the faces and all the details were being lost so how that was all being brought back again by the restoration and more recently, he did the same thing with some early European films and oh. European comedians and took them around. And his wife has been accompanying him on that, too. So doing the sound effects with him and other voices on stage. Starting in 2007, Paul has gotten into the travel documentary genre. It's not just for Michael Palin. In three separate series, he's been to China, India, and just this year in Europe. Have not started watching Europe yet, but I just enjoyed every minute of China and India. I think China wore him out. He he did complain a few times that he that the people were not generally as as collectively very friendly. That there was a lot of staring and swearing and just the spitting right at his feet that got on his nerves. Although he met some individuals he liked very very much, he was at one point staying at a hotel that was meant for visiting dignitaries and because they'd seen his name he still travels with his birth name on his passport of paul martin so they decided he must be the the ex-canadian prime minister (laughs) so that's who they were expecting (laughs) when he showed up and and as far as they knew he that was him he didn't understand why there was such a huge welcoming committee (laughs) with such a fuss being made oh dear he did some interesting things in China, which was his handlers definitely had things they wanted him to showcase and places they really did not want him to go. And so several times he would sneak away with one cameraman and go to Dog Street, where all the restaurants where you eat dog are, or 
he would read something in the paper that looked kind of interesting and go and investigate that instead of going to pr film the Great Wall, which is what the government officials had you know, planned for him to do that day. So I enjoyed that series a lot because I, he showed a lot of stuff I hadn't seen before watching other documentaries. And he met some very interesting people. At one hotel, there was a lady who kept trying to get him to dance. So he went and learned her whole story. And she was a dance instructor, but she was working nights hired by the hotel to try to get the people there on their feet and moving during the dances. And so he started hanging out with her. And one of her favorite things to do was to get glamour shots taken of herself. But in her town in China, what that meant was dressing up in 1930s clothes that Chinese ladies would have worn way back when. And so he dressed up too, and they had some glamour shots taken together and old clothing. And, and she was quite smitten with him. She was saying that she hoped one day she would meet a nice gentleman like Paul that would marry her, and it was very sweet. But I have to say, the India one is even better. It's longer, and he loved India, obviously. He enjoyed every minute there. Hmm. He showed himself doing a lot of stuff that I don't think many people might have wanted on film. Like what? Like getting off his gourd smoking dope with some people at a conference just down by the river one day, describing some rather humiliating symptoms due to some stomach problems he was having to a doctor who would then give some sort of alternate medicine cures here for him to eat. And he says in voiceovers that he was sort of wishing perhaps he hadn't invited the film crew along there as he's having to describe all these effects of him eating these spicy foods and the bugs in his stomach. But he did get fixed up there. And he covered a lot of ground and loved all the people he met. He, and again, he showed some stuff that I hadn't seen before. Hmm. Couldn't get enough of it. Made me want to jump on a plane and go to India. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I am looking forward to Europe. I'll, I'll start on that next. I've got all those, all, I think, six parts for that show lined up. Cool. Yep. It was just announced that Paul Merton is teaming up with his comedy radio show Just a Minute colleague Nicholas Parsons for a new documentary for BBC4. The pair are examining the life of forgotten 1950s comedian Arthur Haynes. Parsons performed as Haynes' straight man for most of the latter's TV career. I saw Nicholas Partons in a play my very first time ever in England. Do you know who he was? No, but he played the narrator in the Rocky Horror Show oh. with lots and lots of audience participation. So I didn't know who he was then, but when I heard just a minute a few years later, I remembered, oh, I think I, that's the guy who was in the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> and I was right. We didn't mention Paul's little wobble about 20 years ago which en ended in him up in Maudsley Hospital for six weeks. Well, that was before Have I Got News For You, wasn't it? It was. It was just as his career was taking off, and he was suddenly getting everything he always wanted. And he said it was caused by overwork and overexcitement. He was just doing nothing but working, you know, 14, 16 hours a day, both on Julian Clary's show, because he wrote for Julian Clary, also, he had been planning to go on vacation to Africa, and he'd had some anti-malarial drugs, which are no longer on the market. <laughs> and these both sort of caused a bit of a psychotic break there, and he began to be convinced that people were out to get him, and the Freemasons were spying on him, and the radio was talking to him. And his mother is, or at the time, she may be retired now, but she was a psychi psychiatric nurse, mm. much like his good friend Joe Brand used to be, and... 
she convinced him to check himself into Maudsley. And he started talking to a doctor there about how he was on television. And he finally had to go get a video and show it to the doctor because the doctor just thought these were all delusions that were coming out there. And he said, no, really, it's true. I am. See, here's the video and showed him on whose line is it anyway or something like that so and and there was just hugely frustrating to him because there was this you know he just wanted to go 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 and keep building the career but he had to kind of come down off this high that these anti-malarial drugs and other things had put him into so it just sounds like it was a real unfortunate it wasn't um a state that was going to reappear and something he was going to have to watch over for years and years but it's still something about 10 years later, he built a whole stand-up show about it hmm. and toured around doing it. And it was filmed for a South Bank show, which was actually shown here on some ovation. Which oh, okay. I remember I had just discovered TV Guide that you could search for people. And I wrote Paul Merton, wonder, thinking maybe I would see on Comedy Central that one of his old Whose Lines would be on. And I know in 10 minutes, this... Paul Merton documentary was about to start an ovation. Wow. So that was most excellent timing. I grabbed my videotape and sat right down for it. So I was lucky there. I've got him on a South Bank show, but I'm not sure if it's the same one or not. It would, yeah, it's the same one. Oh, okay. The show was called So This Is Me. And it was mostly about him, his six weeks in Maudsley. And, mm. and they interviewed Julian Clary, who's just a dear old friend of his and in fact Paul really liked writing for him because Julian's humor was so different from his own that there was never a case of oh should I keep this joke for me or give it to Julian he could write for both of them and not have it overlap and Julian talked about taking Paul out from the hospital for a meal and realizing it was too soon because Paul was still so terrified and upset and nervous and jumpy so he had to take him back and spend a few more weeks there until he felt ready to leave. Well, it's all better now. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you, you met Paul Merton. I did. In Halloween, 1999. Halloween? Halloween. I had just been to see the comedy store players, and I remember a Paul joke because there was a skit they used to do where they'd send Dear Jim Sweeney out of the building, and they would have audience members describe, think of a man's profession, but they wanted it really, really hard. So there was a man who made, um, I think it was a man who made golf tees. Well, what's, what are the golf tees made out of? I mean, they would just get really ridiculously specific with these things and then bring Jim back, and they would have to convey to him without saying it what, what his job was. And he would always, of course, say, I'm a vet. No, that's not it. You know, that would be his first answer. It's kind of a tradition. And I think the golf tees were supposed to be made out of kryptonite. So Paul came on and he said, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. So you go and down to the kryptonite. And this was so <clears throat> that that worked. That made because uh, Jim had already figured out he made golf tees. So now he knew what they were made of. And afterwards, I was talking to the bouncers at the show because I have a thing for bouncers and. They said, you know, they, they just go across the street to the pub, and that's sort of their meet and greet time if you want to go say hi to them. So I did. And I talked to Lee Simpson, and then he went, took me over and introduced me to Paul, who was a little bit drunk because he'd been drinking wine through the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> and was so his, his sort of um, personal comfort zone had shifted, so he was really, really in my face. And I had already told Lee how that 
the summer before I'd spent up in Alaska cooking and I had watched their special Paul Merton and Friends at the Palladium. And there's a scene in that where they do a little panto and Richard Branch, who I also met that night, wears a bikini. So I'd I'd already talked to Richard and he said he could still fit in the bikini. And so Lee took me over to Paul and said, well, she just was watching our show up in Alaska. And so Paul decided to tell me about one of the skits in it, which had, that had been a takeoff on Torval and Dean doing their bolero routine. Now, I, I like ice skating and ice dancing, so I know all about Torval and Dean. So I tried to let him know, well, oh, yes, I know who they are. And he, he just wasn't hearing that. So he was describing Torval and Dean right in my face, and I was trying so hard not to laugh. And I thought, boy, I never thought if I did ever talk to Paul Merton, we'd be discussing Torval and Dean, but we did. And then there were some other folks in there who were acting really obnoxiously, and it kind of drove the, the comedy store players to decide it was time to pack up and leave. So that was my meet and greet with Paul. So it was very nice. And Lee and Richard. And Halloween is their anniversary, because I just was looking at the website this afternoon, and they wrote that on Halloween it'll be their Something, oh gosh, it's it's really out, it's like a 20th anniversary or even more than that, so they um, were going to have a special show that night too. Yeah, it's Sunday of night, Of course, the Comedy Store Players was started by Mike Myers. Really? Yes, he had dual citizenship. He was a teenager, but he'd already been with the Second City in Toronto, and he used to go over and do a double act with Neil Malarkey. And so he and Neil and some other people who aren't in it anymore started the Comedy Store Players, auditioned comedians, gave them lessons during the day on how to do improv. And Paul wasn't an original member. He was a fairly original. He was, he was added really early on. But it actually was started by Mike Myers pre-Saturday Night Live. Wow. And there's articles all over the walls there that you can read up on the history of this and see pictures. And Neil Malarkey has shown up in the Austin Powers movies usually and, and gets occasional writing credits. Um, so I married an axe murderer. Neil had a writing credit. But I still feel for him. It's got to be kind of hard because I'm, he makes a good living. He, he still performs with the players, but it, it's got to be tough. He was in Six Pairs of Pants, too. He was one of the cast members oh. of that very early Simon Pegg, Jessica Hines project. But still, he's never made that leap into superstardom. Like his buddy Mike. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's just luck. Mm-hmm. I realized it was 2003 I saw Paul Merton last at the comedy show. It's been seven years since I've been to my favorite city. But I, it might change because I've got just enough points. I'm just shy of enough points to get a business class ticket on Delta. So I might have to do that. Meanwhile, have I got news for you with Paul Merton. Returns for its 40th series... On Thursday, October 14th, with Sherlock star Benedict Cumberbatch as guest host. Sounds great to me. I'm looking forward to that. Next week, Idris Elba, the BBC drama Luther starring Idris Elba, comes to BBC America next week, and we'll take a look at the talented British actor who's probably better known for the American shows he's done. A lot of vowels in his name, too. Listener feedback. Name the mystery show. Someone wrote me last week to identify a British series he'd seen on PBS. And his description of it was, quote, It was about teams of people that were given a set of clues and then had to work together as a team to solve the riddle and move about the countryside from point A to point B and solve a problem that usually involved building something using limited resources. Hmm. 
and I thought it might be Annika Rice's treasure hunt, but he said no. And so I asked my UK friends on Facebook if they had any suggestions. And I got some good replies, but it turns out we were all wrong. The show he was looking for was Now Get Out of That, which ran from 1981 to 1984. Gosh, I don't think I was even born yet. I'd barely gotten into Doctor Who at that point, so I was really early on, and I don't remember that being on PBS at all, but maybe it was where he was. So anyway, mystery solved there. And John in Iowa City, one of our most loyal listeners, wrote in. I say that because we get a number of referrals from John's blog to our podcast each month. So thanks for that, John. He writes, quote, I was just catching up on your latest podcast and was reminded of the news. Happy one year anniversary, Ryan and Chrissy, for your wonderful British TV podcast. I look forward to each new podcast every week. Quick question for both of you, which probably has an equally quick answer. Why do so many British TV shows change their names when they get a part of the U.S.? Example, Grace and Favor became Are You Being Served Again? or Jam in Jerusalem becoming Clatterford. I look forward to your next year of podcasting. Well, I think the short answer is marketing, marketing. guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not the shows themselves. I'm sure they'd be perfectly happy to keep it that way. I mean, BBC America just doing strange things like uh, changing the fast show to brilliant. Yeah. Which was the catchphrase of one of the Paul Whitehouse characters in there. But there was no good reason to change it. No reason why people would watch a show called Brilliant! Exclamation point, any more than something called The Fast Show. It's, it's the marketing guys at work. Um, in the case of Are You Being Served Again, I think it was so that they could just package those right. with the Are You Being Served episodes already. People wouldn't think it was a separate series. But anyway, thanks for listening, John. We'd like you to, everybody, to go visit our website at www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can see our new logo and find links to headlines, our show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 52 episodes, a whole year's worth. I wonder how long it would take to listen. Let me see. I'm going to get this look on iTunes here. If you download all our 52 episodes, it would be 1.69 gigabytes, and it would take you 1.7 days to listen to them all. Wow. Wow. That is quite a bit. Almost two days. We'd like you to follow us on Twitter if you're a tweeter, and you can do that. Our uh, Twitter address is Brit TV Podcast, and we'd love to hear you, have you on there, and ask questions, and just follow and hear what's going on and what what we're up to. So we'll be back next week for show fifty four. All right, we're getting up there. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.